You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for this Wednesday, April 11th, 2018, and I am John B. from gangreennation.com. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to it. You can do so on iTunes or Spotify, and leave the show a good review on iTunes if you enjoy it. Well, as you might have noticed, we had no show on Tuesday. You did not go crazy. You did not miss anything. There was no technological error on my end. I just was not feeling very well. I was sick, so I just was not up to doing a show on Tuesday. So we missed a day this week, but we are back today, and we're going to continue our discussion on draft theories. And I'm giving you some draft theories that I really like that I've seen in the NFL on Monday, we did a whole show about trading down the merits of trading down. Today, I'm going to take you through a couple of other theories that I really like. And the first one comes from an executive named Ron Wolf, who's in the Hall of Fame, who actually has ties to the Jets. He worked for the Jets for a period a couple decades ago, and he also was a consultant on the search that led the Jets to hire Mike McCagnin. He was part of that in the mix back in 2015. And after the Jets used Wolf, I purchased a book that he had written in the, in the 90s about building a football team. It was really about leadership, the lessons he's lear- he learned in building the Packers when he was Packers GM, and how they can be applied in a number of different areas, a number of different contexts when you're a leader. I kind of wanted to get the idea of the things he was looking for as he was part of the process that led to the Jets to hiring McCagnin. And one of the things he mentioned was his bewilderment at the way NFL teams handle the quarterback position. And his argument essentially that he laid out was it's the most important position on the field. If you don't have a guy, why would you not do something? Why would you not move heaven and earth to try and find a guy? And Wolf had a philosophy that's become rather famous in NFL circles that you would he would draft a quarterback every year or close to every year just to try and add more quality, even if you already had a quarterback, which Wolf did have when he got after he got Brett Favre, and he made a big play for Favre. Favre was originally drafted by Atlanta, and of course there's a famous story about how the Jets wanted him, the Jets thought they were gonna get him and didn't get him, and Wolf was actually in the front office at that, that place. He then moved on to Green Bay, where he made a very bold trade. He gave up a lot to get Favre, but he thought it was worth it. And after that, he continued to draft quarterbacks in Green Bay. He, he drafted guys who, you know, even if they weren't great NFL quarterbacks, they at least had careers as starters. You know, you look at Matt Hasselbeck was a guy he drafted who they traded to Seattle. Um, there were other guys through the years. Mark Brunel, who went on to have a very good career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, was another guy who was drafted by Wolf in Green Bay, Aaron Brooks, who had a good year or two with New Orleans Saints. These were guys he was, a lot of these guys he was able to trade, um, but the Packers always had quarterback depth, and they didn't necessarily need it with Favre, but again, he made the big move to get Favre. The point being here is that, not necessarily that every team is going to get Brett Favre, but the idea is that even when you have a guy, you should constantly be trying to improve your depth at the quarterback position. And you can look at the Patriots recently with Tom Brady. They drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round, which ended up really paying dividends for them back a couple of years ago when Brady spent the first four games suspended. Garoppolo went out there and won two games. And then another guy, they drafted Jacoby Brissett, who won a game for he was the starting quarterback. I'm not sure he won the game, but starting quarterback in a winning effort 
Thursday night game against the Houston Texans, and that was a year, of course, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and they got off to a 3-1 and start that year without Brady. So it just goes to show you that even if you don't have a quarterback, it's important to try and add quarterback depth. And when you don't have a quarterback, you really need to make try and make things happen. And I think you can criticize a lot of the things that the Jets have done recently since McCagnan took over. I think you can criticize the picks because I think Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg were shaky picks at the quarterback position at the time. But I can't blame them for trying to make something happen at the quarterback position. And the one thing I'll give McCagnan credit for, and you know, he may not have a choice at this point, he's not going to let the fact he took Christian Hackenberg two years ago prevent him from taking a quarterback this year. And I think that's something I'll credit him. Now, he's got to take some heat for drafting Hackenberg. Boy, that was, a, that was a bad pick. And it was a, I'll tell you, I thought it was a shaky pick at the time. I don't love that. But I'll give him credit for moving on from his mistake, for not standing around, doing nothing, and being afraid that people are going to criticize him because you're going to get criticism. And look, some of it, a lot of it's merited. But the fact that Hackenberg's probably going to get cut People will use that to criticize McCagnan. And again, he probably deserves it, but he's not doing, he's not avoiding that move just to avoid criticism. And I think that's a good thing for the Jets. And I just think it's a good philosophy in general. It's one of the things I like is that you constantly should be trying to add quarterbacks. And the odds are never great with quarterbacks. And part of it is, as we talked about the other day, and it goes for the quarterback position as well. As much as anything, the draft is a volume game, it's a numbers game. And there's no position that's tougher to project than quarterback. Every position is tough to project, but quarterback's tougher than all of them. So the more guys you bring in, the more opportunities you give yourself, the better the odds you're going to hit on a guy. And even if you go into free agency, I like what the Jets did bringing in Teddy Bridgewater in addition to a quarterback. So in addition to drafting a quarterback this year, you're giving yourself multiple chances to hit at that position. So that's just a philosophy when it comes to the draft that I really like. I think you should constantly be looking to add quarterbacks. Maybe not every single year, but I think teams do not try to address the quarterback position enough. I think teams should be more aggressive and teams should be less afraid of what everybody thinks, less afraid of being criticized because you took a quarterback early last year, two years ago, three years ago. Who cares if you get criticized? You should constantly be trying to bring guys in, constantly be looking for the answer. Just because you draft, you know, just because you, you take a guy doesn't mean that guy has a birthright to a spot on the team. Doesn't mean that guy has a birthright forever to be viewed as the guy of the future. You got to move. And until a guy shows you that he is the, your guy of the future. He's not your guy. And even after you have a guy, you should keep constantly be, you should keep looking to bring guys in because quarterback depth is really important in this league. And if you don't believe me, just check out the 2017 season. Check out the 2017 season where the team that won the Super Bowl did it with its backup quarterback playing for the entire playoffs. Another thing that I think is really important when it comes to the NFL draft is understanding the traits a player at a specific position needs to succeed in your system. And an example I always use are the Seattle Seahawks, the way they built their group of corners. And one of them was not, when they Legion of Boom first took off, one of their corners actually was not brought in from the draft, but he was also a sleeper kind of guy, uh, Brandon Browner, who they brought in from the CFL. And they also used middle to late round picks to bring in guys, Richard Sherman, Byron Maxwell, and there were similarities there. And ultimately what the Seahawks wanted, they wanted big guys who could be physical. And that, that those were the traits that they wanted. That was a trait that they really seemed to put an emphasis on when they were looking. And as we talked about the other day, 
it's very difficult once you get into the later rounds of the draft to find quality players. What you're getting are players who have certain tools that you're hoping to mold into something more. And once you get again, once you get into day three, you know, late day two, you're not talking about guys who can contribute right away. If they could contribute right away, they'd go round one, round two. So you're getting again, you're you're more buying tools that you think you can hone. Well, one of the things you can look at it when you're a team is what skills do guys who thrive in our system have at this position? And that helps you at least narrow things down a little bit. Because first of all, it shows you what you're looking for. You know, you don't want to, you know, you may want a guy at X position with Y trait. You're not just guessing around. You're not just throwing darts at a board. You're actually narrowing down what specific traits you want. And the other part of that is... If you understand what traits you want, if you understand how your system works, you're probably better at honing players with those specific traits than you would be a player with another set of tools. So I think it makes it easier when you at least know what you're looking for, when you understand your system. And I think that's something teams struggle with a little bit, where they'll take a flyer on a late round pick, and the player doesn't really fit what they want to do. And... I think what makes it tricky is that the team may not understand how to develop that kind of player. So I think you have to understand yourself. I think you have to understand what you want to do. So that's another philosophy, general draft philosophy that I really buy into. I'll give you a third philosophy that I, th- I think is important. And again, this, this also comes back to understanding your scheme. And that's understanding what positions are important in your defense. And a team I look to is the Carolina Panthers under their former their former general manager, Dave Gettleman. And one thing I noticed out of them is they always seem to have a bargain basement secondary. You know, they never really had a lot of guys who they spend a ton of resources on in their secondary. And the more I studied them, the more I read on them. And this is this was the team that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, had a 15-1 record. You know, you go back a couple of years. So they've had success. And they've, they've lots of division titles in Carolina recently. The thing I noticed about them when I studied them is secondary really isn't that important for the defense they were running under Sean McDermott. Now, McDermott's in Buffalo. Their schemes changed a little bit. And, of course, now they have a new GM. But back during their glory years... They ran a lot of cover six, a lot of cover four, which essentially meant that in many instances, their defensive backfield was responsible for covering a quarter of the field each. And the reason that's important, the reason that sticks out is almost anybody in the NFL can cover a quarter of the field deep. That I mean, almost anybody can do that, which means you have to spend a lot of money on that. Now, you want to shut down corner. You want to run a Todd Bowles kind of defense where your number one corner is chasing the other team's best receiver all the way around the field. It's one-on-one. That's a skill you pay for. You pay a premium for. A defense where you play a lot of zone and when you're splitting the field into quarters, that's not really a spot where you want to use premium resources, whether it's contracts, whether it's salary, or whether it's draft picks. And... It, again, it was, this was also true in free agency. It was true in their trades. But Seahawks, I'm sorry, not the Seahawks, the Panthers, you look during their years as they built that team, they really were not using many premium resources, either contracts or draft picks, on the defensive secondary. What they were using it on was the front seven because their defense was built on the front seven. Their defense was built on the defensive line getting home. 
you know, so they, they use draft picks on defensive linemen, they use early picks on defensive linemen, and they also use ranging linebackers to cover underneath because they were sticking their secondary deep a lot, which meant the linebackers underneath on the second level had to cover a lot of ground. So they used, they used resources on, on those rangy linebackers, but they didn't really use it on secondary players. So again, I think that's a good philosophy. It's something you have to understand. You have to understand what's important to my, to my defense. What's important to my offense? What positions do I value more than I value others? And the premium positions are the ones... I'm not saying that you base everything off position, but I think it comes into play. Whereas if you have a tough decision to make, if you have two guys who are roughly equal, you take the guy whose position means more to you. You take the guy whose position is more valuable to your team, the scheme that you run. And I think that's something, again, you see in good teams. That's just one example I have, but there are other examples of that where you understand it's not, you know, people talk a lot, a lot about position value and its general terms, but different teams value different positions differently. So you have to figure out what's valuable to you. I'll leave you today with one final draft philosophy I have that I think is important, and that's understanding what positions are you good at developing players? What positions is your coaching staff strong at teaching technique, teaching the essentials? And the example I'll use is the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you look at the last decade of the NFL, I don't think there's a... You'd be hard-pressed to find a team with better receiver play than the Pittsburgh Steelers. You look at the talent that's gone through that organization... I mean, I could just, I mean, you list the names. You have, of course, the all-timer, which was Antonio Brown, but you have guys, Mike Wallace, you have Emmanuel Sanders, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, and you even have some guys like Marcus Wheaton, who were good role players, Martavis Bryant, who's, you know, not great, but he's okay. Steelers have not used a first-round pickup wide receiver since Antonio Holmes in 2006. And this has helped them in a couple of different ways is first of all they haven't needed to use top end picks to get to address the wide receiver position because they've been so good at developing talent there but also they haven't been afraid to let guys walk away they haven't been afraid when Holmes when they didn't want to re-sign Holmes they weren't afraid to trade him for a pick they weren't afraid to let Mike Wallace walk away they weren't afraid to let Sanders walk away because they knew that they had the ability to replace those guys now, an all-time player like Brown, you know, a Hall, a Hall of Famer, future first ballot Hall of Famer, they're going to lock him up, make sure he stays in the mix. But the other pieces, the other guys who are just good, they they have confidence in their ability to replace them. And I think that's something that's important when, you, when it comes to team building. Something we talked about last year was it kind of felt like the Jets believed in their ability to build on the offensive line, to develop players on the offensive line. And you look at the 2017 season, it really did not pan out that well. Uh, you know, the guys they were counting on, the guys they were counting on to grow, the guys they were counting on to develop really did not develop. So it was a situation where the Jets maybe misjudged their own ability, and that had consequences. So you have to understand what you're good at, and you have to have those positions where you're good at developing players because, as we always say, this is a league with a salary cap. You can't go out and buy players at every position. You can't use premium draft picks at every position. You only get one first-round pick a year, one second-round pick a year. There just are certain spots where you have to be able to develop players. You have to be able to find players for cheap. And some of it goes to scheme, like like it did in our last example. But some of it is just you have to have the quality, when it comes to your coaching staff, quality player evaluation, 
and those two have to go hand in hand. So understand where, first of all, you have to be good at developing a certain position and also understanding it and incorporating it into your strategy. So those are just some more draft philosophies I wanted to share as we roll towards the draft. Thank you for listening today. And thanks again for uh, bearing with us as a little illness knocked me out yesterday, but we are back and hopefully we'll be back for the rest of the week. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, options to subscribe include iTunes and Spotify and leave the show a good review in iTunes if you do like it. Hope you have a great Wednesday. I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you again on Thursday.